Hey now, welcome to Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan. In each episode, I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or digital. Before you listen to this show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next so you have enough time to watch it. If you enjoy Random Movie Club, you can help keep it going by supporting us on Patreon. Supporters get special benefits like bonus episodes, patron-only events, giveaways, and more. Show your support for Random Movie Club and the Geek Generation by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com support. On this episode, I'll be discussing The Silence of the Lambs with Squalls. Let's roll the film. The Silence of the Lambs was released in 1991 from director Jonathan Demme. Based on a book by Thomas Harris with a screenplay written by Ted Talley, the film stars Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. The Silence of the Lambs. Why did you choose this movie? Um, I think I chose this movie uh, for the podcast because it's getting, well, at the time of recording this, it's getting to be like Halloween cold times, which I tend to like want to watch true crime stuff, like slightly spooky. Um, So I was really feeling it. And it's probably my favorite scary movie, even though it's not like your typical like horror, horror, slasher, whatever. Um, So it's just like that time of year. And it's, yeah, probably my favorite horror and movie movie yeah it's classified online as like horror slash thriller too and yet i don't i don't know i don't think about movies like this as horror i think about them as like psychological thrillers yeah i would agree that uh it's definitely more of a thriller type movie because mm. i don't i can't do like gory same stuff like it's it's not for me i used to be able to do it a little bit but in in my advanced age <laughs> i can't i can't do just like the grossy like jump scare movies anymore yeah and also just like hashtag strong female lead right uh jodie foster is a queen before it was yeah. a really celebrated yeah, thing before it was like a hashtag uh mm-hmm. i always love that sweet all right well as i always do i go to imdb and i gather up a whole bunch of trivia and this movie has a ton of it uh some of which you might have heard some of which you might not have heard So one of the inspirations from whom Sir Anthony Hopkins borrowed for his interpretation of Hannibal Lecter was a friend of his in London who rarely blinked when speaking, which unnerved anyone around him. So you can tell that like his blinks are very methodical within the movie. Yeah, we might get to it later on, but there's just a lot of staring like at the camera. Mm -hmm. And then it's like almost you don't blink or take a breath until he like does the same. Yes. Uh, So yeah, that's... I can, I can feel that. I can, it's palpable. <laughs> the yeah, tension. it is. It is. He also took inspiration from Truman Capote, Catherine Hepburn, and Hal 9000 for developing the voice. Ooh. Yeah, there's something very, uh, yeah, methodical about it. Did you machine-like. say methodical? Yeah, machine-like, mm. but also very, something very poetic, rhythmic about the way he speaks. Absolutely. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was Jonathan Demme's first choice to play Clarice Starling after the two worked on Married to the Mob. After a long courting period of Demi in pursuit and Pfeiffer considering playing the role, she ultimately turned it down as she thought the film would be too dark and violent. It's dark for sure. And I also now, I can't see anyone other than Jodie Foster right. <laughs> as Clarice. So it's fine. It's all for, all for the best. Yeah. 
Uh, Jodie Foster claims that during the first meeting between Lecter and Starling, Sir Anthony Hopkins' mocking of her southern accent was improvised on the spot. Foster's horrified reaction was genuine as she felt personally attacked. She later thanked Hopkins for generating such an honest reaction. I abs- I have that in my notes, like how yeah. much I love that part when he like calls out her shoes, like her cheap yeah. shoes and her accent and stuff. It's a great part. It's it's one of those moments where like it's like a oh damn like moment, but also you feel really really terrified mm-hmm. and and like you can't stand up for her. <laughs> so it's just the like, first time he opens up and like exposes what he really is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you get scared. Yep. Clarice Starling was one of the biggest influences for creating the character of Dana Scully, according to the X-Files creator Chris Carter. There's also a tribute to this film in the last episode of the ninth season when Scully visits Mulder in the jail and he tells her, I smelled you coming, Clarice. That's really funny that you picked that piece of trivia because I think part of the reason I chose this movie to go back to your first answer was that mm-hmm. I just recently like jumped into the X-Files. Um, like I've never watched it front to back. So I started doing that. And I think I'm just on that like hashtag strong female character, like yeah. crime solving, like badass on that wavelength right now. So it lines up. It checks out. It checks out. <laughs> Jamie Gum is the combination of three real life serial killers. Ed Gein, who Gein. skinned his yeah. Gein, Ed Gein, who skinned his victims. Ted Bundy, he used the cast on his hand to bait women to get into his van. And Gary Heidnick who kept women he kidnapped in a pit in his basement. Yep. Again, on the true crime kick, <laughs> <laughs> like going towards Halloween and the, the stark, stark winter. Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with those those references and stuff. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like a true crime nut or anything like that, but that's definitely one thing. But you know how to properly pronounce their names. Yeah, yeah I know how to pronounce <laughs> so their names. Enough. Yeah. So the pit inspiration, that story is horrifying. Oh, I'm so sure. never look that up. Unless you want. <laughs> Gladly will avoid. You want to learn, but also have a real bad time. After Jodie Foster first read the Thomas Harris novel, she tried to buy the rights herself, only to find Gene Hackman had beaten her to it. Hackman originally wanted to star as Hannibal Lecter, but ultimately didn't play the role as he had just finished playing another dark character and didn't want to do him like back to back. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. They went with the right choice. They also had uh, Sean Connery was one of the really? first choices. Yeah. No kidding. But he also didn't want to do it because he looked at it and was like, this is too dark and violent. Yeah, dark for sure. Violent. I mean, yes, just by the nature of it. To kind of get back to what you were saying before, when characters are talking to Starling, they often talk directly to the camera. When she's talking to them, she's always looking slightly off camera. Jonathan Demi has explained that this was done so the audience would direct experience from her point of view, but not theirs, hence encouraging the audience to more readily identify with her. Uh, yeah, I, I get that. I'd written a note about like, there's a lot of direct to camera, but it doesn't feel like hokey, I guess, in any sort of way. Because no. I feel like that could go real south real fast. But in this, it just feels really, really intense. Yeah, I'm not sure if it accomplished what they were actually getting, because they yeah. even do it with, they don't just do it with Lecter, they do it later on with like the waitress much much later on that was friends with one of the victims Mm -hmm. and she's staring directly at the camera and i'm like this is very invasive even though this person's not supposed to be aggressive with us at all yeah no i agree i probably wouldn't have like identified like oh i feel like clarice in this moment i just identify it as like this is a pretty cool technique and it feels really intense yeah the uh the first moth cocoon found in one of the victim's throats was made from a combination of tootsie rolls and gummy bears so it would be edible if swallowed yeah, <laughs> so gross. It makes me not want them. 
<laughs> Neither of those candies. Yeah. yeah. The uh, tobacco hornworm moths used throughout the film were given celebrity treatment. They were flown first class to the set in a special carrier, had special living quarters, and were dressed in carefully designed costumes, which were body shields bearing a painted skull and crossbones. That's so cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> but yeah, they're celebrities on camera and off camera. Absolutely. Because it was like a big deal to have that kind of moth. Yeah, and that poster is iconic at this point. Yeah. During the location scouting for the house in which the serial killer Jamie Gum was living, Ted Levine, who played Jamie, was amazed to discover that a house being considered was not only in the town where he grew up, but was literally next door to the house of his high school girlfriend. That is creepy. And also yeah. really, really cool. <laughs> like, what are the odds? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when Cleese Starling first discovers Catherine Martin in the well in Jamie Gum's basement, Martin's gown, wide-eyed fear, and holding Gum's white poodle precious can be seen as a direct mirror of Starling's own childhood memory of trying to save a lamb. Catherine refuses to give up the dog after being rescued as well. I never made that connection like that. I didn't either when I was watching it, but yeah. I do love that she keeps the dog, though. Yeah. When she's, when she, yeah. Because the whole time she's like threatening to hurt it. It's so painful. Yeah. Oh my God. No. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins viewed the film as a last ditch effort to really break out in Hollywood. Although he had acted in film and television since the 1960s, he had not reached A-list status, nor had he attained the prestige he'd been hoping for with his screen acting career. He went on to say that if this film hadn't garnered the career boost he was seeking, then he would have quit his acting career in Hollywood and focused all his efforts instead on the British stage. Damn. Because in my mind, I guess Anthony Hopkins, it's it's Anthony it's Hopkins. It's Anthony Hopkins, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I get, you know, I was young when this came out, so I didn't mm -hmm. really know much about his career. Which is Even wild, now, so he's been like, acting for like 30 years already. Yeah, because it's like, what what's Anthony Hopkins in? I'm like, I don't know, he's Anthony Hopkins, he's in everything. Yeah. <laughs> he's the man. Yeah. Lastly, with 24 minutes and 52 seconds of screen time, Sir Anthony Hopkins' performance in this movie is the second shortest to ever win an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role, with David Niven in separate tables beating him at 23 minutes and 29 seconds. He delivered. It's wild <laughs> because I feel like even though that's such a short percentage of the movie, I don't think of him as being in it for that short of a time. Oh, yeah. Agreed. And I definitely enjoy the scenes with him and Clarice, like the most out of anything in the movie. Yeah, those are definitely some like the first meeting mm -hmm. is one of the best. It is. Period. <laughs> so let's get into the movie itself. Sure. Uh, so it starts off with that training sequence where she's doing the obstacle course and everything. Uh, the first thing that I thought was funny was like that they were labeled. So like it says in a sign, cargo net <laughs> like yeah, right. right next to it, which is something they do at like Boy Scout camps. But I don't think it's necessary at an FBI training right. facility. It's like they're detectives. I'm sure they know it's a cargo net. Right. In the <laughs> middle of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> they use their detecting skills. Yeah. Yeah. Right after that was one of my favorite images from the movie is when she gets mm -hmm. into the elevator and it's her like tiny little frame and mm -hmm. it's just like all the dudes like standing around her and she's yeah. just like looking up like which establishes like yeah. two things that they establish very early on in the movie one that she's like a woman in a man's world yeah and that she's clearly an underdog so they're even showing like a scale thing there like i don't think she's that short they clearly got guys that were very tall for that sure to like yeah. make us root for her and show that she's like building up to something else yeah no i love that just like like you said, establishes what's going on. And I think that dynamic is definitely just throughout the entire movie. Mm -hmm. Not only yeah. the overarching like 
what and who Buffalo Bill is, but also I feel like in a lot of like micro interactions oh, between like Clarice and like superiors or there's I jotted down a few examples. Um, one of them is even right away as she's going to the office uh, after she was summoned from the obstacle course. The two guys that she sees kind of like eye her as mm-hmm. she's walking towards Crawford's office. There's the point where they ask to speak with the cops privately away from Clarice. Yep. Which I'm glad she brings back up and addresses mm-hmm. later. Like, don't do that. Like, you're setting a model for how people treat me. Yeah. I do uh, like her and Crawford's relationship a lot. Mm-hmm. Her, her like, superior officer. Because it feels um, sort of mentor-mentee. Mm-hmm. And I think he's, like wants to do right by Clarice throughout the movie. And then I have Dr. Chilton, who's like in charge of... Oh, God. I just have like... I literally wrote down in parentheses, I have Dr. Chilton, and then parentheses, <laughs> like fart noise. Like, I, Yeah. <laughs> I hate that guy. But yeah, just very different dynamics, like between mm. someone superior to her and Chilton and then superior, like Crawford. Absolutely. They do have like Dr. Chilton blatantly hits on her. Yeah. Like is very blatant about it and as does one of the bug experts yeah, later the, on. I know. And I I made a note about that too, like how she's just like trying to navigate getting her job done mm-hmm. while also having to like swerve all these like awkward compliments or like yeah. passes and it's like that is like the realist <laughs> yeah. twenty eighteen thing right now. The bug expert dude I thought was pretty much harmless like he just yeah. seemed like a sweet guy that doesn't see girls that often yeah just like a little dweeb yeah totally. but chill and i'm like you're so i dislike you very much <laughs> that was super scummy yeah uh it bothered me a little bit how she rushed to meet crawford when she was summoned from the obstacle course when she was still all sweaty and everything even right. though and he wasn't even there yet yeah like i would assume unless it's an emergency they would, especially in like a workplace environment, like clean themselves up a little bit before they like go into a meeting. Right. Like, oh, you have a minute, Clarice. Go just yeah. <laughs> take a minute. Take a minute. And she was like very, I don't know. And if she was rushing that much, she like stopped a couple times to say hi to people on the way or like. Yeah, like high five. Them. Like, yeah, like just go <laughs> then. Like make up your mind. What are you doing with this? <laughs> I noticed that she repeats things a lot throughout the movie. How do you mean? So... There's the part where Crawford asks her if she wants to be in his department and her response is uh, very much so very much. And then later on, when they're going over the story about the lamb, she does it like three times within that one story. So when she's running away, she says the water was cold, very cold. He was so heavy, so heavy. And then when Hannibal asks about silencing the screams, she says, I don't know. I don't know. She (laughs) constantly is repeating herself. And that just stood out to me. I don't think I ever noticed that. I mean, I like I can hear those lines like in my head, but I never Mm -hmm. it never came off as like, I don't know. It just felt like how she talks. I don't know. I (laughs) I just did. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it's something in the script or if that was a a choice that she made, because I can see that being like. That is a thing that some actors lean on as like a way to emphasize a point is to just repeat it. Sure. But if that's the case, doing it like three times in one (laughs) speech felt a little much. I like that some of the more uh, the gruesome things that are in the movie, some of them are not shown like the photo of what he did to the nurse. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely noticed that. Like it's almost scarier just like seeing her face. I think it's like the camera sort of at the photo level perspective like Mm -hmm. looking up at her yeah and there's something yeah definitely just unsettling i like that that a lot might be more unsettling than seeing the photo 
I think a lot of the times, if you leave things up to people's imagination, not only will it generate something more terrifying, but it also it also gives a person what they can handle. Like my imagination is not going to hit me with something that I find over the top. Right. Something that I can't look at it. And it makes a movie more watchable for me. Yeah. Because like I said at the top, like I can't do I can't do like crazy gore. Yeah. Anymore. So I appreciate the the restraint in in moments like that. And also I feel like one of the gross moments early on is Migs and the cell next oh, to her. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that could have been filmed way worse and way more graphic than it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still pretty graphic and disgusting, but it it's not like a it's not like I need to turn this off moment. It's like I'm yeah. I am now pissed off, slightly disgusted, but I'm still I'm still in it. I'm not just like you know completely completely shut down or yeah anything like that i found that to be one of the grossest parts of the movie honestly so with all disgusting. the like body mutilation they were showing and everything that was like one of the grossest parts it's so nasty yeah and it came out of nowhere which made it even worse like who's expecting that going That's into a so prison gross. to interview somebody so that is absolutely disgusting and terrible and then like the next day when crawford's like he swallowed his own tongue like Hannibal Lecter essentially like talked him into doing it and she's like I don't know how to feel he's like you don't know you don't have to feel anything like mm-hmm. Lecter did it to amuse himself it's like how how did you feel when you learned that he yeah. like talked that dude into how did I? I yeah I mean I was like that guy was what was that human being anyway like not to say his life didn't mean anything but did it <laughs> <laughs> I know I feel bad I was like because part of me is like yeah fuck that guy that's dope that like Lecter can do that and then I'm like oh god Lecter can do that that's terrible that was I think that was the thought I had first yeah like I didn't so it's not like I was cheering on Lecter Mm -hmm. but it it was the best way to show that what he's capable of and still not without making him like a super villain right away like he killed someone that we didn't care about Mm mm-hmm but it shows what he's capable of, which is really scary. And again, without showing it. Yeah. Because I feel like that would have been horrible and disgusting and like kind of over the top. And it would have taken away from what he does later. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Well, he's only really like violent, violent at one like, point in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So to have no violence from him leading up to that point makes when he actually does it way yeah. more impactful. Yeah. Uh, every time Lecter references a former patient of his, I can't help wondering who in their right mind would like go to him and be like, this guy seems normal and good for me. Right. I'm book another appointment. Right. Like, oh, he's so polite, <laughs> which which I guess is the thing with, you know, like serial killers and stuff. It's like a lot of them are charming. Mm-hmm. And I think was it uh, Ted Bundy, which was one mm-hmm. of the it was. one of the just a charming older man. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's not a far leap. To being like, oh, he, he seems like a nice guy. Lecter? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I like, mean, if he's like know. that all the time. We know, yeah. He doesn't come across as charming or anything. I don't imagine he has another, like, personality delivery than just that. I mean, I don't know. Something, uh, it's Clarice says it, and, mm-hmm. and I also find myself believing it. You know, later on when they found out he's escaped and stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's like, he wouldn't come after me. He would consider it rude. Yeah. Which I'm like, you know what? You're right. He probably would think that's rude. He would, yeah. <laughs> so it's just interesting. Like, he's this crazy, 
crazy ass person, but but he has. Rules. It's like that's a line. Like, yeah, like don't come after Clarice. That's rude. Like don't do that. <laughs> uh, in the room with the uh, corpse, and there's so many cops gathered around it and stuff, and they're like passing around coffee in this tight little room, and there's just like a dead body sitting there. What the hell is that? <laughs> what, the, what is um, that? The uh, like when she does her first like the autopsy the autopsy yeah mm-hmm. yeah i also love how she like clears the room on that yeah i feel like that's the only reason that they were even all gathered in there because it seemed so unrealistic to me that they would all be in that tight room with the corpse just like drinking their morning coffee right like hey yeah what's up joe <laughs> like, this is the social room <laughs> here's the centerpiece yeah yeah because that was at the funeral home right mm-hmm. which i'm guessing yeah has all that all in one place but yeah, yeah, yeah an alarming amount of cops hanging around the evidence yeah being like very casual right about halfway through the movie as soon as we see buffalo bill there's like two early pieces of evidence as to what he's up to one he's sitting at a sewing machine this is before we see that he's sewing skin we just see that he's sewing and then we also uh learn from lector that he was denied the gender reassignment surgery as yes. soon as those pieces were presented, I was like, oh, I know he's making a woman's skin suit. A skin suit. <laughs> like, they don't figure it out for so long. Right. Which means they need to watch more movies. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but I had it pegged, like, right there. I should also clarify, because uh, I didn't say it during the show yet. This is my first time seeing this movie. Yes, I know. Like, I can and can't believe right. it's your first time. So this, I, I appreciate, I'm glad you chose the movie, because this is one of the exact reasons I started this podcast. This is one of those movies that's been on my list of, like, I need to watch this movie because it's so highly lauded by everybody. Right. But it's not something where I'm like, hmm, I'm in the mood to watch Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yeah. So this gave me a perfect reason to. I'm glad. I'm glad that I could do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's the line where Lecter asks, was it a butterfly, the thing they found in the moth? And she goes, yes, a moth. I was like, no. <laughs> Moths are not butterflies. Who didn't fact check that? Wait, oh, like the line? Yeah, the line. The, yeah. Lecter says, was it a butterfly? And Clarice says, yes, a moth. Is it I like, like all no. rectangles are squares, but yeah, all, I guess. not all squares are rectangles? <laughs> I looked it up just to make sure, because I was like, I don't think moths are butterflies. And I Googled it, and they're not. There's differences. Are butterflies? Wait, I don't know. I mean, fair point. <laughs> they're similar looking insects, <laughs> right. but they're not in the same category. Yeah. So that was weird to me. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think they used Google as much in the 90s. Nah, so. They're like, yeah, they flap around. It's, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> Cocoon. And- uh, when Lecter gets transferred to Memphis, I think that the part where they have him on the gurney with like that, is that like a plastic or a leather like muzzle mask? The iconic. just Yeah. Yeah. I think that is the best visual representation of the character that they show within the movie because they show him in like some different restraints and stuff like the just metal bars or like the just him as he is. It makes him look the most like the monster that he actually is. Like terrifying. Yeah. All you can see is like the eyes. Yeah. And just like the the sectioned off mouth. Super creepy. I weirdly love the line where he was like, by the way love your suit yes that's like that's like shout out to to earlier when he's like making fun of clarice's mm-hmm. shoes and so i'm like why is this a thing like, yeah and then I, i'm like i find myself laughing I'm like no this guy is psychotic what is wrong with me he always asks about clothing and he asks about sexual stuff yeah or like Constantly. the smell yeah like smells yeah he's like you wear whatever perfume 
but not today. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> what are you, chilling. evil Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. Oh, my God. Also, what the hell kind of half-rate facility is this Memphis place? The, um... The one he eventually escapes from. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm like, why the fuck did they just like put him in the middle of the room? Like, I'm sure it's just to like set up the theatrics for later. Mm-hmm. But I was like, just just throw him in a, in a cell. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> like, this is the worst setup. The security is awful. Where are the security cameras? Right. Like, this is all shit. <laughs> it's, it's a 1990 whatever. But like, eh. But he was in a great <laughs> one. Like, move him to a similar type facility. Yeah. I don't know why. They did that the way they did. I I don't thinking about it now because um I never actually thought of this until you just said that. But um it's Chilton who's like I figured out we mm. got him to say his name. That's Doctor Chilton C H I L. Like <laughs> it's like maybe he put him in this theatrical kind of place so they could be like, look, we have we have him. Show we have him Hannibal off like Dr. a trophy. Like, yeah, essentially show him off like a trophy. I have mm. no idea if that's I the can case, that. but like, look, we have him. This animal. <laughs> It looked like he was in the middle of like a high school gym or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> like it didn't look like a prison at all. I don't even know all. what it is. I don't it's even know so what it weird. is. It's so weird. During the escape, he uses the part of the pen that Chilton left in his cell yeah. to unlock the cuffs. And I looked into this too because I was like, I didn't make the connection, honestly, that the thing he pulls out of his mouth is what he used to open the handcuffs, that that was part of the pen. Oh, okay. I thought that he got in some. I'm like, what the hell is he taking out of his mouth? And I was like, Wait, what happened to that pen he had earlier? Oh, wait a minute. Okay, that's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Because I was yeah, waiting cause, for the pen to come back around. Because when, because yeah, when Chillin's talking to him in his cell and he leaves the pen on the bed or whatever, mm-hmm. and Lecter's just looking at the pen, like, yeah. it's like he's not even hearing Chillin at that point. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's bad move, sir. Bad move. There's also, and I looked it up, I was like, how did he get the pen? Because he was in restraints. I guess if they put him back in and then put him in different restraints to move him. Mm-hmm. But if they never took him out of the restraints, there's no possible way for him to get that pen before they transferred him to Memphis. So my, I never thought this, uh, you know, I've watched it a bunch of times. And then yeah. one time I was like, oh, I'm wondering if he, so say Chillin left his pen in there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he can't just like carry it with him. Did he eat it? And then that's why he's like on the toilet right before. Oh, that's what I was wondering. I'm like, oh, he must have like he bit off the like he bit the thing or whatever, ate it, and then passes it. And so that was I put that together like a few times ago. That sounds painful, but I guess it's possible. Sounds painful, but I'm like, oh, he's in the bathroom. Is that supposed to insinuate that that's what he's? I mean, it makes sense, right? Right. Um, I was like, oh. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, immensely. I think what I what I saw as responses from people online is that they're all like, yeah, it's impossible for him to have gotten that pen. But the movie is trying to tell us again, like it was probably impossible for him to get to Migs. Right. And the movie keeps doing things that shouldn't be possible. And somehow Lecter keeps doing it. So they're either suggesting that he's just so brilliant that he's able to do the impossible or that he's so evil. There's some almost like sub supernatural thing going yeah. on here. I can see that. And I think it just, it makes him creepier for sure. Because you're like, how? Like, yeah. again, the unseen. And he, there's things, creepier. there's a lot of things that Lecter does that people shouldn't be able to do. Like, he somehow noticed, and even Clarice says it when she's cut and she comes in and he's like, oh, you've been hurt. And she's like, how did you, like, she says that very quickly. Like, the, how did you pick up on that? Like, right. it's not showing whatsoever. Right. And then even when he when she first goes to do the first meeting with him 
as she's walking into his view, he's already following her with his eyes, even though he hasn't seen her yet. Right. It's so creepy. Also that, so that's like, you know, the iconic sort of mm-hmm. scene image from that. And it gave birth to one of my very favorite gifts of all time, <laughs> where someone has edited Lecter's cell. It's covered in like anime posters oh, and like body pillows. Yeah. And it's captioned Konnichiwa Clarice Chan. <laughs> which you should just like attach it to the podcast <laughs> put it, put it underneath as an image. It's one of my very favorites. Brandon Bisco. Yeah. When he's killing the officer with the baton during that escape as well, his strikes come off as very like robot. Like he has a very blatant exhale with each swing. Like he's so methodical about everything. Yeah. Even when he's kind of losing control, he's still in control. Yeah. Which that's really funny that you said that. Well, on that in that part, there's nothing creepier than him just slowly walking out of the cell. Mm-hmm. When you said when he's out of control, he's still in control, which is something I'd noted about like Clarice in a lot of moments. Like she's shook, but still trying to maintain that mm-hmm. control. Like now it comes off as like a parallel trait that they both have. Sure. Like obviously in different ways. Yeah. But that's cool. That's interesting that you said that. There were a lot of things that were kind of leaning towards the overall metaphor of the movie that the movie is obviously about Clarice, but what Lecter represents versus what Crawford represents are two different parts of Clarice. So Mm -hmm. Lecter is like her honest self talking to her and like expressing her fears and her doubts. And that's why at the end of the movie, she's like, shaking hands with Crawford and being accepted into the man's world, getting that respect that she's been trying to earn the whole movie. And then she at the end, uh, doesn't need Lecter anymore, but he still calls her up and is like, Oh, I'm still here. Like your fears and your worries are still here, even though you got the progress you wanted. Yeah. And I also, that, Again, that thing of it being rude. He's like, "Oh no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come after you. The world's yeah. more interesting with you in it." Like, yeah. I was like, "Oh." And also, I've kind of the thing that I noticed is I've almost forgotten about Lecter at that point in the movie mm-hmm. because so much happens in between when we last see him that's and that true. phone call. That when she gets on the phone, you're you're like, "Oh shit!" Like that's right, he's still out there. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh damn. So iconic, like quote whatever from this yes. movie is it puts the lotion in the basket yes. like it puts so i'm guessing you were like aware of that i have quote, seen so existing this was this is one of those movies that's difficult to watch because i've seen it parodied so many times right it's one of the reasons i've never bothered to watch the godfather because right. i don't think i could watch it seriously and take it as it's supposed to be because i've seen so many parodies this it's the buffalo bill stuff that's most parodied from this movie yeah because i want to like Because I feel like that's one of those quotes, like, everyone has heard it, Mm -hmm. but, like, if you don't know the context of, like, what's happening or when it's happening, I'm like, did Mm -hmm. that, like, mess, not mess you up in any way, but you were like, oh, damn, like, it comes off as, like, this funny thing, but it's, like, actually an insanely fucked up moment. Yeah. There's also, um, I forget which of the Kevin Smith movies it is, Jay Muse does the Buffalo Bill dance and, like, tucks it in and everything. Oh, my God. That song is ruined. (laughs) Forever. Also, that apparently that dance is in the book, but it wasn't in the screenplay. And Ted Levine was like, no, we have to do that because that shows how crazy this guy is. Yeah. The level of. Yeah. It's it's so unsettling. Mm. Also, a thing that I didn't notice till watch number whatever. He has someone else's scalp on. 
Yeah. Like someone else's scalp. Like at first you're just like taking in like the whole bodysuit, like the whole thing. And then one time when I was watching, I noticed like the the line. It's like a bad mm-hmm. wig almost, but it's like, oh, did the whole did the whole nine yards like he has another scalp on. Yeah, they're Great. doing when they're doing the shot of like his mouth and putting on the lipstick, they do a quick shot of his eyes as well, and you can see the yeah. the cutout of the the skin scalp hat he's wearing. Oh god, Whoa. it's so creepy. It's so creepy. It's disgusting. <sighs> During uh Lecter's escape, the ambulance escape, I didn't one hundred percent buy. It's another thing I was like, I don't think that's really possible to like <laughs> fool the cops in that way. Right. Although I looked, I did find a a post online from an EMT who analyzed that scene and was like, they did a ridiculously good job of like making it plausible because all the steps they go through are accurate. There are certain things that they would have overlooked based on the chaos of the scene and like the very clear show that Lecter is putting on by hanging the guy there and everything. It's all a distraction and a smokescreen. Yeah. So that yeah. he can get out. Yeah, that was another oh damn moment the first time I watched it. Because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting it at least until until you see him like sit up in the ambulance. I oh, was really? Like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like, maybe I just haven't watched enough movies. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. But it's like, oh, this dude, this dude is crazy. There are a lot of things in this movie where I was thinking, how often did they do things like this before this movie? Like, have I just seen this kind of stuff happens so much since that the things become predictable in this movie, even if it was like an innovator. So like, like this movie came out in 91. Yeah. 91. So like, as soon as I saw the blood coming down from the elevator, like it's too easy to say, Oh, that's where he is. Like I knew there was going to be a dead body up there. And that Lecter was the dead body that had been taken out. Like I knew it right away from that point. But again, that's because movies have trained me since that. Even if this movie was one that was earlier on that right. did it, that kind of right. innovated it. I will say my favorite bait and switch, though, is the end mm-hmm. when you think the SWAT team is going to mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill's house, but they're at the wrong place. It's another one that I predicted, but it's still wonderfully done. It's so well executed. It is. Because like when he opens that door and she's there, like the dread just like washes over mm-hmm. you like. Oh, oh, fuck. Yeah, this is bad. This is it's probably other than like a lot of the Clarice Lecter interactions. That's Mm -hmm. probably like my favorite chunk of the movie. Yeah. Is when she's like walking into the house and you know, you know what he is. Yeah. What's downstairs. And she's just like, she doesn't. Yeah. And she doesn't like she like she's I'd say she's suspicious. Mm -hmm. Like when she starts looking around and then she sees the moth. Mm hmm. And then just like low key, like unclips her gun. Yeah. And it's like, oh, she knows. Yeah. Like now when she, she was first, when she first rang the bell and everything, she wasn't like, oh, this is Buffalo Bill's house. She had no, no idea. She like, wouldn't yeah, have gone yeah. in alone otherwise. No. Like that's, so. that's horrible procedure. <laughs> yeah. And the way he like, and once that he knows that she knows mm-hmm. and he just like slips into the kitchen, mm-hmm. it's probably one of the creepiest <laughs> images now of all the stuff in this movie that is upsetting or creepy. There's some way that, some reason when he just like slinks away Mm -hmm. that it's the creepiest ass thing yeah in the entire movie uh i don't know how much training foster went through when preparing this like they usually have i know they worked with the fbi a lot on this and the fbi fully endorsed this movie because they saw it as a recruiting tool for more female agents 
Cool. So they were 100% behind it. Um, and Foster also wanted them to make sure that they were portraying the FBI in an accurate way. I don't know how much training she had like with gun work and stuff because mm-hmm. it does look like she's kind of fumbling around. See, I like that. I made a note of like, yeah. I think it's on purpose that she's not perfect at it. Okay. Because like even like earlier when she's training and like she doesn't check her corners or whatever. I was going to bring that and up. Yeah. Yeah. So I think again, it's like that moment where it. she's like, she's like shook, but trying to like be in control. Mm-hmm. So like. It's it's like kind of a cliche of like, oh, you can't get your keys in the car like when you're being yeah. chased or whatever. But I think I think it reads as like genuine when she like kind of fumbles it out of the thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I there like was it. even another moment in the movie, too, because there's only a couple moments where she kind of loses control. I feel like that's definitely one of them. There's another one when she first exits after seeing Hannibal for the first time and she like starts crying by her car mm-hmm. and. I could see a lot of people like nowadays people jump on that as a criticism of like, oh, you had such a strong female character and then you made her cry by the car. And it's like, no, come on. We're human like, beings. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> stop it. And not everyone's going to be like untouchable, unfazable. Right. Like, that's not human. Yeah. So that was actually a suggestion by a female FBI agent that Foster was shadowing when preparing for the movie. The agent was like, I've done that. You should work oh, that yeah. in somehow because that's very real. I think that's super real when you're trying to keep it together in the moment. Like it doesn't have to be hand- like a critique or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can sit there and like take your critique or whatever. It was like, I've fucking left critiques and then just like gone and cried. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just how it goes. Yeah. And um, I think another another one of those shook but in control, but obviously human moments was when she was doing the autopsy and she's like, she like takes these really long pauses. He's like, what else do you see? Mm-hmm. Like still trying to do her job and stay in control, but like visibly. And you can hear a little quiver in her voice. Just like, yeah. 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 Very good. Um, The party at the end. I don't know why the handshake with Crawford was so focused on. Like they were trying to suggest something. I know. I don't, I'm not sure why. I'm sure there's some symbolism there. I was just like, oh, they're bros. And they love each other in a cool way. <laughs> yeah. Like a- some people thought it was like him i don't know i guess in the book he his wife uh, dies over the course of the book and he's mourning her at one point it's not something that happens in the movie so they were like oh any romantic thing is ridiculous because he was mourning his wife right but there's the suggestion that hannibal makes and it does make you view their relationship like we've we've gotten that seed planted in our brains and now we're looking for something yeah yeah i mean i haven't read the books so my experience is purely the movie like i said i don't know i I like their relationship Mm -hmm. i didn't view it as romantic i think they love each other but not in like a romantic way Mm. it feels very mentor mentee kind of thing yeah but at the same time it also feels like she's his tool interesting because she he sent her in as a means to an end just to get information out of hannibal because he couldn't do it himself Right. So, and then, yeah. And she calls that out too. Yeah. After the first. And the reason she gets to stick around is because now she's established that relationship. So it's not like he's just bringing her into the fold because he wants her to be there or he's trying to build her up. It's like, no, she's a means to an end as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Crawford, I mean, that could be entirely true, but I don't think he's like slimy. Oh, no. I don't think so at all. Yeah. No, no. I don't think it's like malicious or anything. Yeah. I just think that's, that's the job. 
yeah, like, I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> Clarice, come on. <laughs> and then the other kind of weird thing, just from like a filmmaking perspective, is when Hannibal calls up again. I don't know why they included this shot, but she looks around the corner and watches Crawford leaving the party, almost to suggest that like those two things are connected. Hmm. As if like I Crawford wonder. had something to do with Lecter escaping. And I don't think that's the case, really, but yeah. it's an odd choice from a filmmaking perspective. Yeah, I wonder if Crawford knows that it's Lecter. Because he's like, you got a phone call. And then, like, tells her again, like, don't forget your phone call, like, right, right before he leaves. Right. So I wonder if, like, he knows it's Lecter. Yeah. And, like, maybe he's okay with it being Lecter. I have no idea. I don't know. It just seems, it seems strange, but yeah. Yeah. Also, backtracking a little bit yeah, yeah. to, um, when she goes to the basement, mm-hmm. like when when she, you know, she's searching for Buffalo Bill at the end, that is like, it felt vi- like having, you know, new video games and stuff. I'm like, this feels very video game-ish, mm-hmm. just like a windy basement full of doors, like walking simulator. Like this doesn't like, happen in real life, but. Like lingering dread <laughs> walking simulator. Yeah. And also just like, I don't know the actress's name who's Catherine martin the girl that's captive mm-hmm. she's in other stuff though yeah and she's great and she's just like screaming she's like no you bitch like get me out of here i'm like this is like the realest the realest performance and, like she just keeps screaming clarice is telling her to shut up mm-hmm. but she actually like, put on whole... weight for the movie too it said in the trivia oh, she did. yeah no kidding yeah she had actually auditioned for the part of clarice oh. and but they ended up casting her here instead i think she's great mm-hmm. as a very like regular yeah. person because that cut to her just like singing in the car yeah. to um american girl <laughs> yeah you're just like oh this is this feels really normal mm. and i know something terrible is gonna yeah. happen and god damn it the empathy will get you killed every time captured at least <laughs> it's like do you need help with that couch nope nope no no do not nope you can you you'll get it you'll get it i'm not I'm no not you're trying to do the right you. thing but nope nope Nope. Uh, any other notes you wanted to touch on before we wrap up? No, nothing else. All right. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I like. I I always nitpick and criticize here and there yeah. too. But I ultimately I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was very well done. And Hannibal Lecter as a character stands up to the like status it's been held at for so so long. Yeah. No, I'm glad to hear that. I was really curious as to, to what you would think about it. Yeah. Like not being a horror person, but not this not being quite a horror movie. I like a good psychological thriller. Yeah. 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 This one this one digs in. Yeah. It digs in. Not always Love in it. the mood for them, but yeah. <laughs> I enjoy yeah. a well made one. Once a year. One a year. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh so as we are wrapping up, can we plug some things for you? Streams, social medias, anything like that? Sure. I am Squalls on Twitter and Twitch. That's S-K-O-W-A-L-Z. Casual streamer on Twitch and uh, tweet about whatever I want to tweet about. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, I guess, everyone's Twitter, right? Right, yeah. (laughs) Sweet. You can find me there. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the show uh, for the second time. Second time. People can go back and check out your episode with Pirates of the Caribbean as well. Yeah, much lighter fare yeah. on Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> a little bit. And uh, I'm sure you'll be back for an episode in the future, too. Would love to. Random Movie Club is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our podcasts and videos at thegeekgeneration.com 
plus our live streams at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. Don't forget, you can support Random Movie Club by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. As always, thanks to Michael McLeod of Wolf's Den Music for our theme song. A link to his site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening, and make sure you join us next time when we'll discuss The Rocketeer. See you then.